Welcome to the Scalar Learning Podcast, your central hub for all things related to education. Join us every episode for the most up-to-date tips and strategies on how to maximize student potential. Sit back, listen, and enjoy. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Scalar Learning Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Huzaifa, and today we are talking about the ACT. We are talking about ACT math in particular. I don't know, we've already done a show, an entire episode on the ACT and the ACT math, but today we're breaking it down in particular by the most critical formulas that you gotta know if you're signed up and are going to take the ACT. It's interesting because it's a little different than the SAT. On the SAT, there are some formulae that are provided and it's not exactly the same for the ACT. You won't get these, you won't get these formulae at the front of the math section. So it's, it's quite important. So this comes from an awesome article from Prep Scholar and it's literally called the 31 Critical ACT Math Formulas You Must Know. So I'm going to go through these math formulas, and if you or your child are planning to take the ACT soon, you can make a list. Hopefully, I'm going to also put a link to this article in the show notes. You can check that out as well. And if you want, you can then copy all the the formulas down. But it's really important not to just know these formulae, not to just have them memorized, but to really understand them. So in addition to this first article, I'm also going to be reading from another article called the top 10 tips to help memorize math formulas. So we're going to go through that as well. And actually some of them are okay. I'll probably go through about six or seven that I think are really solid and really good reminders for anybody aspiring to be a great math student or to get a great math score on the ACT. All right, so let's start it off here. So we're going to start off first in algebra. So the first equation that you should know really, really well is how to calculate slope. Hopefully most of you guys have worked on this at some point. I know I just had a session this morning with a rising seventh grader and we were reviewing the slope formula. It's very important. It never goes away. So it's simply, and remember slope is just from going from one point to the next, how much are you going up versus how much are you going to the right or left? And we call this rise over run. It's the difference of the y values over the difference of the corresponding x values. All right. So that is slope. Next, you should really be familiar with slope-intercept. Slope-intercept form is just a way of representing a linear equation, linear function, in the following way. And, and really, what I tell people is all you got to think is that y's got to be by itself. If you got a linear equation and y is alone, you've got slope-intercept form. So that's y equals mx plus b, right? So where m is your slope and b is your y-intercept. Y-intercept, that just means the point on the y-axis that this function, that this graph is going to hit, right? Where it's going to cross the y-axis. Next, you should know the midpoint formula. The midpoint formula is... To be honest, it's a bit overkill in my opinion. I'll tell you why. So some of these formulas, I'm going to tell you that 
I think it's easier to just understand what you're trying to get versus memorize this formula because it's a bit long. So what it is, it's x1 plus x2 divided by 2. That's coordinate one. That's the x-coordinate of the midpoint. And then it's y1 plus y2 divided by 2. So that's the formula. But think about it. Midpoint, what are you trying to do? You're just trying to find the middle of two points. So really all you're trying to do is you're trying to find that middle point or the average value of the x-coordinates. And that's going to be your x-coordinate of the midpoint. You do the same thing with the y-coordinates. You just find that exact middle. If you think about it that way, I think it's a little bit easier. Don't have to worry yourself about memorizing that formula. The next formula that's pretty important, and I'd also say that this is one of the harder formulas to memorize, is the distance formula. The distance formula is the square root of the difference of the x values squared between two coordinates plus the difference of the y values squared, all right? And, and that's that whole thing is you're taking the square root. Now, that's a tough one to memorize. I often see kids and students mixing up the minus and the pluses, but really, I think the most important thing is to actually remember that this comes from a right triangle, from Pythagorean's theorem. And all you're doing is you're just calculating the C value, right? So when you calculate the C value, what are you doing? You're doing A squared plus C plus B squared equals C squared. So then you take A squared plus B squared, and then you take the square root of that, and you got C. That's what this is. The difference of the X coordinates gives you your A value. The difference of the Y coordinates gives you your B value. So if you think about it like this, man, you don't have to, to memorize this extremely long formula. But if it works better for you, go for it. Go for the memorization. All right, next, when we're talking about logarithms, hopefully you guys have worked on logarithms. And logarithms are really another way to express exponents, in a sense. And, and, and they're really it's really important to just understand basically what they mean. So for example, the, this is the most critical thing to know about logs. If you have log base B of X equaling Y, this is really the equivalent to B, so B is the base of the logarithm, to the Y power that's on the other side of the equal sign equals X, and X is what you're taking the log base B of. That's all it is. If you understand that a logarithm simply represents an exponential equation, then your life's going to be pretty easy. It's probably hard to understand the way that I've just stated it without having a visual aid. So I would definitely recommend if you're struggling with logs, take a look at this article. Again, it's going to be in the show notes. Another thing that's important to note, log base B of X times Y is the same as log base B of X plus log base B of Y. And also log base B of X over Y equals the difference of log base B of X and log base B of Y. Statistics and probability. Okay, so now we're gonna talk about some statistics, equations that you should know. Hopefully you know how to calculate the mean of a number of terms. If you don't, you just add them all up and you divide by the amount of terms. You got seven terms, you add them, divide by seven. Make sense? Hope so. <laughs> All right, now also how to calculate the average speed. So average speed is just distance over time, total distance over total time. If you ever struggle with that, think about miles per hour. That's exactly what we're doing. We're calculating miles per hour. You're taking the miles you're traveling per hour, 
right? So if you go 300 miles in three hours, we take 300 divided by three, your speed is 100 miles per hour probabilities. So now we're going to know, we should know basically what in general probability is. Probability is the way I like to think about it. So the article states number of desired outcomes out of total number of possible outcomes. Sure. I like to say in the numerator, we got the total ways to win over the total universe of possibilities or a total number of possible outcomes. Same thing. So we got all the different ways that something can play out. And in the top part, the ways that we want, the ways that we can win. Another important formula is when we are finding combinations. Okay, so let's say, let's say, so they get they give a uh, example here. In a cafeteria, there are three different dessert options, two different entree options, and four drink options. How many different lunch combinations are possible using one drink, one dessert, and one entree? The nice thing here is actually the process to to figure this out is not too complicated. You just multiply all of these guys together, the total options you have for each slot. So we have three different dessert options, that's three, times two different entree options, two, times four different drink options. That's three times two times four, which gives us 24. We can do the same thing with lottery tickets. If we're, if we're saying, well, what are our odds of winning the lottery if there's only one winning combination? Well, let's say there's five numbers and you have... 10 possibilities for each number, zero through nine. So we say, okay, well, option one, we've got 10 possibilities. Option in number two, we've got 10 possibilities. Number three, we've got 10 possibilities, so on and so forth. All we do is we multiply all those guys together, 10 times 10 times 10 times 10 times 10. Okay, and that gives us our or the total number of combinations. Okay. When we're talking about geometry, some basic formulas that are important to know. Area of a rectangle or area of a square, same thing. Length times width. If we're talking about perimeter, just it's more important to know what perimeter is. Is just adding up all the sides. But if you're given a length and you're given a width of a rectangle, you just double that length, double the width, and combine them, and you've got your perimeter. If we're talking about a rectangular solid, or we call it a rectangular prism, same thing applies to a cube, and you want to find volume, you just multiply all three dimensions together, length times width times height. It's kind of cool because if you're, if you're finding area, you only got two dimensions usually. You just multiply those two together, and boom, you got your area. Volume, you add a third dimension, add that onto the multiplication, and you've got your volume. Another thing to know is how to calculate area of a parallelogram. Well, guess what? It's the same as calculating the area of a rectangle. It's length times height. You just got to make sure you figure out exactly what your height value is. All right. Now, if we talk about area of a triangle, super, super important, just like area of a rectangle, but you half it. So it's area of area is one half base times height. A really easy way to remember this is usually you take a triangle and, and you can, if you stack the identical triangle on top of it, guess what? You will make a rectangle. So every triangle is basically just half of a rectangle. It's a great way to think about it. So one half base times height. Another super important theorem, we kind of touched on it before, Pythagorean's theorem, and this is to calculate the 
hypotenuse, well, actually, any missing side of a right triangle. It's A squared plus B squared equals C squared. A and B are your smaller legs, all right? And you combine those to, you combine the squares of those together and you get the squared value of the hypotenuse, the longest side. Another important thing to know is special right triangles. Now, on the SAT, you're given these. You don't have to memorize them. You should still be really familiar with them. But special right triangles, there are two of them. You can either have an isosceles right triangle, which is called also called a 45-45-90, or you can have what's called a 30-60-90 right triangle. All right, so I'm going to try and explain this over the air. Hopefully, you can. this makes sense. If we got a 45-45-90, here's how it breaks down. We've got... Basically, we've got two identical legs, and the cool thing is those guys are both equal to each other. You can call those both x. The hypotenuse is going to be x times the square root of 2, okay? For every, so no matter what, if you got a 45, 45, 90, you take that smaller side, you multiply it by the square root of 2, boom, you got your hypotenuse. Now, for special right triangles, we've got, first of all, if we look at our smallest side, that's the side that's opposite 30, let's call that x. The hypotenuse is going to be double that x value, so that's easy. The only tough one to remember is the side opposite 60 degrees. That's going to be square root of 3 times your smallest side times that x. So definitely I would recommend you take your time with special right triangles, look at them, and try your best to memorize them. I think it's a great strategy to memorize them. All right, next, let's talk about trapezoids. So how do you calculate the area of a trapezoid. So what you're going to do is you take the two, there's always going to be one set of parallel sides. That's the de definition of a trapezoid, one set of parallel sides. You take those two parallel sides and you take the average of them. Okay, so parallel side A plus B divided by two, and then you multiply it by the heights, and now you got your area. And really what you're doing, if you think about it, when you're calculating the area of a trapezoid, you're really, by taking that average, you're turning this trapezoid into a rectangle. And then you're just doing basically length times width. All right, for circles, we need to know the area of a circle. It is pi times the radius squared. Radius is super important to know for all circle calculations. Pi is just a number, an irrational number that you can a lot of times estimate at 3.14. Area is pi r squared. And circumference is 2 pi r. 2 times pi times r. Another way you can think about it is since twice the radius is the diameter, you can also say circumference is pi times the diameter. I prefer 2 pi r. All right. Now, this is a little higher level. I have seen questions asking about the equation of a circle, so I definitely think you should brush up on this. It's really not too bad. The equation of a circle is this. Okay, let's say it's, first of all, let's say it's centered at the origin, an easier an easier circumstance. If it's centered at the origin, it's just x squared plus y squared equals whatever your radius value is squared. So if it has a radius of 4, it's just x squared plus y squared equals 16. It has a radius of 2, x squared plus y squared equals 4. It gets just a little tricky if, the, if it's not centered at the origin. If its center is some random coordinate, now it becomes x minus h squared, and h is your x coordinate of the center plus y minus k squared, k is your center value for the, uh, sorry, the, the y value for the center, 
and then same thing equals r squared. Also for a cylinder, how do we calculate the volume of a cylinder? Well, it's pretty cool because it's just the area of a circle, pi r squared times the height of that cylinder, pi r squared times h. The last thing that is really important to know, you would, I, I definitely will see at least a couple, one, two problems on every practice ACT I've looked at, trigonometry. One thing you gotta know for trigonometry, we know sine, we know cosine, we know tangent, but what are they? You gotta know SOHCAHTOA, S-O-H-C-A-H-T-O-A. Because what does that tell you? What are these trigonometric functions? They express relationships between sides of a triangle. So how does that work? Well, if we take sine, it's all about angles. We take sine of an angle, we're representing relationships of sides and correlation, correspondence with this angle that we are selecting. But how do we remember the ratios? Well, so, S-O-H, sine, and then O stands for opposite, H stands for hypotenuse, means sine of an angle is going to equal the opposite side over the hypotenuse. Hypotenuse is the longest side. Again, these trigonometric functions are specifically for right triangles. Cosine, what do we do there? Oh, well, it's ka, C-A-H. That means cosine of an angle is going to be the adjacent angle right next to, uh, sorry, adjacent side right next to it over the hypotenuse. And then tangent, toa, OA, tangent of an angle is going to be the opposite over the adjacent side. So these are the critical functions. So now I, I'm going to, now we've gone over these formulas. Now I want to read from this article 10 tips, and we're not going to do all 10 because some of them I'm not crazy about, but tips to help memorize math formulas. Okay, so first of all, of course, familiarize yourself with the formula in advance. Of course, this is important, but this doesn't just mean to memorize it in advance. Familiarize yourself means memorize it and then practice it. Try it. Use it and practice problems. Try to find more problems in your textbooks or other resources that use these formulas so you get really comfortable with them. Don't try to learn lists of formulas. I think this is a, a great suggestion as opposed to just going through this article and being saying, I need to memorize all of these. Memorize them piecemeal. Work on one, work on a bunch of practice problems, then come back at another time or another day to work on the next, so on and so forth. So number three, this goes hand in hand with number one, practice. You want to practice, practice, practice. I just had a student not too long ago, I think I talked about him on another episode, who got an A on his algebra final. And he had been getting mostly C's and B's up before I was working with him. And, and it was so cool because... I can't even really take credit for it because all that happened was I just figured out what he was doing to study and what he was doing was reviewing his notes, which I see a lot of kids doing. They just sort of gloss through their notes, review stuff that they've written down, and then they go in and then they expect to be able to apply the formulas without actual practice. It doesn't work. Had to make one little change and I said, now before you study for your final, I want you to do, we had one session and then the next day he had one more day so I said, I want you to practice all of these problems for two hours. And that was it. That was the difference. Because I could see he understood everything perfectly clearly. But he, there was something that the dots weren't connecting, and that's what it was. It was the practice. Got to practice. All right, number four. So you create a list of mathematical symbols. So it says, in language learning, students create a list of all new vocabulary they come across to understand unfamiliar terms. The same technique works in math. Initially, a lot of symbols you will come across can seem alien, and this can be confusing. So the suggestion is to create a list of symbols 
so you can refer back and stop feeling intimidated by these bizarre symbols. I say if you do feel that way, this is a fine suggestion. If you're in the boat where you've learned all this at one time and you're about to take your ACT, then I would say, well, it might not be that, that big of a deal, that important. Okay, so another tip is understand the formula. This goes hand in hand with practice. The only way you're going to understand it is to really use it in, pra- in practice problems and then check your work. Am I using it right? Did I get the right outcome? Oh, no, I didn't? Cool. Well, how do I fix that? What can I change? That's the way you're going to understand it. If you really take the time to do the work and get a lot of a lot of practice problems under your belt, I have no doubt you will understand this stuff. I mentioned that I took the I, I did a whole episode and the SAT that I took in May. I just got the score back for it in June. And I did that really to to show people, look, the the way that I didn't get a perfect score in math in high school. But I got a perfect score in May, and I know why that is. It's because of the amount of time that I've I've put in to practice these formulas and to really understand the material. I'm not saying you have to do this as a full-time career in order to get a perfect math score. Far, far from it. But the key is when you teach this stuff, you are going that extra mile to really understand it. And I, I'd almost approach it with with that objective in mind, to understand it in a way where you feel confident in teaching it or reteaching it to somebody else. If you get to that point, I promise you the SAT or ACT math questions will not be intimidating, will not be a problem. So that's it for today's show. Again, I'm going to put these articles in the show notes. You can check out the show notes at www.scalarlearning.com. If you have any questions or comments, email me at huzaifa at scalarlearning.com. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast. we got new episodes coming out every day, lots of good content, awesome guests coming up very soon. we got some other amazing podcast hosts. We've got the CEO of Guilt Group Japan coming on later this week. So we got some really cool people. He's going to be talking about math and fashion, which I think a lot of people might not really see those two going together, but he's going to talk about all the ways that he has to use math on a regular basis to run the Japan operation of Guilt. And if you guys don't know, Guilt is a pretty well-known seller of merchandise and clothing great company love the company so we got some exciting stuff coming up so definitely subscribe and that is it i will see you guys next time take it easy